welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Today we begin a new series. I'm in playing, but it's a great season, and we begin a new series that we're calling Jesus, still changing everything about everything. And a few of you will remember that a number of years ago, we did a similar series that we called Jesus, and we did it for an entire year, 52 weeks, and believe it or not, we never ran out of things to say. We had stuff to keep saying, and we just touched, you know, touched the, the tip of the spear on it, but today we are declaring the beautiful and obvious truth once again that Jesus is still changing everything about everything. Does anyone agree with that? Yeah. Right? I mean, Jesus is still changing us. Jesus is still changing the world. Jesus, he changes everything from the biggest of things to the smallest of things, doesn't he? Jesus will change the hearts of man, but he will also change the way we treat one another. Jesus will change, if you will, the way we see our enemies, but Jesus will also change the way we see ourselves. Jesus will change, you know, the way we look at our family. He'll give us eyes to see them in a new way, and he'll also change the way we see people who are different than us. Jesus will change the sick. He will change the, the lost. He changes the hopeless and the hopeful. Jesus changes the addicted and the afflicted. Jesus changes those who are sinners and those who are saints. Jesus changes the church and he changes the skeptics, right? Jesus changes people, places, cities, nations. Jesus has been changing everything about everything since he came. And he's still changing everything about everything. And I just want you to know that nothing will remain the same. You understand that? He's not done changing things quite yet. He's still going. In fact, everything in this world as we see it is still groaning. They may not know it, but it's groaning for more of Jesus. It's groaning for the things like love, groaning for the things like hope, peace, and joy. The very things that we worship Jesus for in this Advent season, that's what the world needs. That's what the world wants, right? Jesus, of course, he is the hope of the world. Jesus, of course, is the love that we need in our darkest hour. Jesus, Jesus, right? He is the peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus is the joy that this world so desperately needs right now. Consider this, that the birth of Jesus, his very entry into the world, is a history-splitting, movement-making, world-shaping, human-saving moment. You understand this? The eternal God entered into history. The creator God entered into his creation. God who created a man became a man. The prophet Isaiah, we read it. He was the one, he called him the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Have you thought about this? That more songs have been sung about him, more paintings have been painted of him, more books have been written regarding him than any other person that's lived in the history of the world. We live in the year 2023 because 2023 years ago, as best as historians can pinpoint, is when he came into the world. Jesus changed everything about everything. So Advent begins, and we participate in this worldwide celebration with millions and billions of other believers around the world, and we are reminded that Advent, Advent is actually a Latin term, by the way. It is, and it refers to the, to the coming, if you will, of the Messiah, the, the waiting and expectation for the coming Savior. Advent represents the season of expectation and waiting. 
And the word Advent actually has the same root word as the, way, as the word adventure. Anyone ever feel the adventure of waiting on Jesus? <laughs> it is an adventure. Like, how long, Lord, will I have to wait? Anybody felt that before? You're like, Lord, I need your breakthrough. And for those of you that experience the breakthrough, when the breakthrough comes and God starts moving and God starts shaping and God starts changing and Jesus starts saving, man, then you're like, this is an adventure. Jesus is good. The Greek term for Advent refers to the waiting on the second coming of Christ. So you talk about an adventure, right? That one's coming. So Christmas not only in the season of Adam and is not only about what happened and celebrating the nativity scene that we read about in the Bible, but it is also about a time of waiting on Jesus again because Jesus is coming again. Jesus said, I'm leaving for now, but I will return and I will make all things new. I will renew all things. I will wipe away every tear. There will be no more evil. There will be no more sin when I return. So now we wait again. We hope and expect again. We believe and trust again. So I have a very simple hope for today and our time together in the next few minutes that we have. My aim is to show you Jesus in the word of God in such a way that by the time we are finished, you will love him more than you love him right now. That's my aim. That's a big aim. But I, I, I mean, right? That's what we're doing here. So no matter where you are in your journey, no matter what's going on, no matter what you believe about Jesus, consider what if today you grow in your love for him? So to begin these next few talks, uh, for the next number of weeks, I want to start with the news that we read about at the very beginning of the Gospels when they shared this news that a king has been born. Matthew 2, verse 1, says it this way. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Everyone say king. king. Everyone say king again. King. Our world is fascinated, right, with royalty and kings and queens and princes and princesses. One of the most popular shows on Netflix the last few years has been the show The Crown, right? One of the most important if you will, uh, strangest stories happening in the world over the last few years is Harry and Meghan leaving royalty, right? One of the biggest events of this last year was King Charles being coronated as king. Like, we are fascinated. And that's just British royalty. But think about all the other ways in culture that it is about kingdoms. Have you ever been to Disney World? Yeah. <laughs> right? Magic kingdom, right? Whatever that means. And also dominated by princesses and other things like the Lion King. My girls grew up loving Anne Hathaway in Princess Diaries. Anybody with me on that? Um, who doesn't love Dairy Queen, right? Like, that's what I'm saying. We are fascinated by monarchies. <laughs> Expect the unexpected today. The role of kings has always been equated to power and wealth, and it fascinates us. Yet, the story of the King Jesus, right, begins in the most non-royal way. Absent of anything powerful or beautiful or kingly, it of course begins in a stable amidst a scandalous pregnancy to, two couple, to a couple that has no idea what God is doing in their life. 
So let's read this verse again, shall we? I want to start back in this, this verse, Matthew 2, verse 1. And it says this, after Jesus, I read this before, but we're going to keep reading him to verse 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during a time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Let's let that sink in for just a moment. Herod and all of Jerusalem was disturbed. So the Magi say, hey, we have great news. The king, the Messiah has been born. And the, pe- this is the, the people of Israel have been waiting on this moment, right? They've been praying for the Messiah to come. Then they hear the news that it actually happened and the whole city is disturbed. One translation says, they were troubled. Have you ever been disturbed or troubled? <laughs> sure, we all get disturbed and there are a lot of things that, quote, trouble us, right? Mullets disturb me. I'm just kidding. I like them. They're good. Fresh seafood in Oklahoma City troubles me. But I'll eat it anyway. The things that disturb us and trouble us are the things that get under our skin, right? Herod and the whole city are bothered by the news of this new king. Now, like I said, the, the, the whole nation of Israel, they, have been, they had been praying, waiting, expecting for a thousand years that the news of this king would arrive, that God would send a savior. And when it happens, they're like, ugh. Please don't disturb us right now. We got a lot going on here. We good. (laughs) Now, before you act like, man, those people in the Bible, they were missing it. How many of you have ever thought, and I'm not going to make you raise your hand. How many of you have ever thought, man, I sure hope Jesus waits to do this whole second coming thing until after I'm gone. (laughs) Not surely really I want to do the whole rapture thing. Now, I know a few of you in here, Scott was one of them. He's like, no, I, I'm ready. Beam me up, Jesus. I want to fly into the sky. Some of you want it. But some of you are like, ah, I got a life to live. Jesus, that whole great thing you're going to do when you come back, can you wait till after my time? Do not disturb me, God. <laughs> I wonder if we put that sign up on God a lot. You know the do not disturb sign at the hotel? You're like, I got power, right? And when you put the do not, I wonder how many times Jesus comes and knocks at the door and we've put the sign out, do not disturb me. Many of you know the terrible thing that Herod does at the news, right? Herod, the earth king, the man king, what does he do next? He was so troubled and so disturbed that he went and killed every boy under the age of two in Bethlehem. That's disturbing. But God, of course, saves Jesus, lets Joseph and Mary know that they need to flee before Herod could find them. Essentially, what you could say, though, is Herod wasn't ready to move over and let someone else be king. How many know that Jesus as king is still disturbing people today? When he shows up in your life, things start to change. 
And not everyone is eager to move over and let someone else be king of their life. Even people in the church are very comfortable singing Jesus as king, but they go and live a life with me as king. Me king versus the king is as real today as it was when Jesus was born. One of the first things recorded in the scripture that Jesus said once he started his public ministry was about this idea of kingdom. Kingdom theology is a big part of what it means to understand Jesus, by the way. That we are part of a kingdom. The kingdom of God is always at odds with the kingdom of this world. And one of the things he said, Mark 1, verse 15, he said, the time has come. This is right at the beginning of his ministry. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe it or not, this is one of my favorite passages. I've come to understand the significance of it. This is good news. It's not disturbing. This is not troubling news. It's actually good news. And he wants people to know it. He's like, I am about to change things. I am about to disrupt your life. I'm not going to disturb your life or trouble you. I'm actually going to be the answer to your troubles. And this sentence is so significant. It's so complete. It's a declaration. It's an announcement of a new kingdom. And Jesus is saying, for there to be a new kingdom, there has to be a king, and I am that king. And when he said this, don't you know, it, is, it disturbed a lot of people. Most people were not ready to hear about the kingdom of God. They were only used to the kingdoms of this world. And what Jesus said about the kingdom of God, it created a lot of tension. How many know that change, with change there's always tension? If Jesus is going to change you, there's going to actually be quite a bit of tension in your life. But how many know that tension also stretches us? And how many know that we all need to be stretched? It's called being conformed into the image of Christ. It's being remade, reformed, re reborn into the kingdom. I just want you to remember my aim today is for you to love Jesus more when you walk out of here than when you walked in. And I think this whole Jesus as king thing and this whole, the fact that he came to earth to bring the kingdom of heaven will help us do that. But I need us to back up for a minute in the Bible. We're going to back up a thousand years before Jesus for just a moment. To get to a story that in, in a, in, it's in 1 Samuel 8, because this tension that's being created between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, it's been going on for a long time, even before Jesus. And I want to look at a key moment in that struggle. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, it says this, So that all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. Now Samuel was, at the time, the, he was actually the, the last judge, but the first prophet of the, of the people of Israel. And he says, They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. In other words, we want to be like everyone else. We're tired of being different. Prior to this moment, the Israelites have never had a king. God has always been their king. God has called prophets. He's called judges to lead. But he had been the one and only king of the people. So they stood out different than the other nations. So this is the moment in Scripture where the Israelites said, we would rather be like everyone else, which is a powerful sentiment, isn't it? We want to be like everyone else. So many of us are drawn to comparison, drawn to fit in. We're afraid to stand out. 
We're afraid to have different values than other people. We're afraid to make decisions that go against the grain. We'd just rather be like everyone else. The kingdom of God has always been at odds with the kingdom of the world. And the idea of being like everyone else, just so you hear this, it seems like this is a very teenager you know, message to say this, but it isn't. It's for all of us. The idea to be like everyone else is incompatible with the kingdom of God. We can't be like everyone else when we live in the kingdom. It's, it's, it's impossible. It's actually incompatible. It's incomprehensible. It doesn't work. But they wanted their own little kingdom of this world. So they said, give us a man king. Verse 6, 1 Samuel 8. But, they, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. So the people reject God as their king. They get what they want. And in many regards, they become like everyone else. Except for one fact, that God is good. Everyone say, God is good. God is so good. He's like, I'm not going to let you go do what you want to do. I'm actually going to come back, and I'm going I'm I'm to send you a savior. Because you're going to need rescuing again from yourself. I'm going to send you a Messiah. I'm going to send a new king, and I'm going to reestablish my kingdom of God, the kingdom of God here on earth. So he allows them to go ahead, though, and appoint their man king. But it's not long until God says, hey, I'm coming back. I'm going to return as king. And for a thousand years, the prophecies from God point to a new kingdom and a new king. So they reject God and almost immediately, let's see if this sounds familiar, they reject God and then almost immediately they start crying out for God. (laughs) God, come back. Save us. Rescue us. We need you. So the story around the campfire for a thousand years becomes that someday God will send us a king. He'll send us a savior, a Messiah. He'll be the king of all kings. He'll be the greatest king of all time. He will hear our cry. He will heal our land. He will be the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He will defeat our enemies. He will save us. So you and your brothers and your sisters and your cousins and your aunts and your uncles and your mom mom and your dad, you all believe this, that someday a Messiah would come and he would usher in God's kingdom on earth the Messiah would be the greatest king of all time. And most, most importantly, he would set up Israel as the greatest nation on earth, the most powerful kingdom. This was the story told around the campfire and what they were waiting on for a thousand years. And when the news arrives, what do they do? I bring you good tidings, great joy, <laughs> for unto us a child is born. Savior, the king of kings is born, and the news hits the city, and they are troubled. Years later, when Jesus announces his kingdom, about 30 years later, he says, hey, the kingdom of God is now. Repent and believe the good news. Everything you've been waiting on has arrived. The people were shocked. They were troubled. The Bible says that his hometown tried to kill him. 
immediately the religious leaders are like plotting his downfall. Jesus was not the king they expected, was he? They had always imagined a powerful king that would come and would rule the world. Yet Jesus came as a humble servant. They wanted a king that would establish earthly power. They weren't ready for one who operated in nothing but spiritual power. Not a king, not a king that they expected because he would call them to drop everything, follow him, and serve others. This isn't a kingdom. Not like they expected. And that's exactly the point. You see, Jesus was calling them to a kingdom that was not of this world. He was changing everything about everything, and it was causing tension. But you all know what I already said. With change comes some tension. So much so that it led to the people eventually. We know this story. Quick summarizing, though. They eventually arrest Jesus, demand that he be put to death. And in John 19, one of the most painful moments in the scripture, it's even worse to me than 1 Samuel 8 when they reject God as king occurs. John 19, starting verse 12. Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king, you see how this king thing is a really big deal? Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as Stone Pavement. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. And he looks at them and he says, here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. So Pilate handed him over to be crucified. We have no king but Caesar, they cried. I don't know if there's a more disturbing verse than that, a more troubling one in the Bible. Herod was so disturbed that he kills innocent children, right? First Samuel, the people reject God, and I didn't read this, but they traded him in for a six-foot-three handsome man. That's what it says about Saul, who's the first king of Israel. He was a tall, handsome man. they like, that's what we want. We want that guy. Who, by the way, fell flat on his face. How often do we trade in the unique character of Christ to be like the rest of the world? And then the most painful of all, the people reject God in the flesh. Jesus, they reject him, and instead they vow allegiance to Caesar, their enemy. How often do we choose sin over righteousness? How often do we choose rebellion over renewal? How often do we walk away from the changes that God puts in our heart and we just say it's too hard to change? The systems are too ingrained. I can't do it. I can't turn away from what I've always known or I've always done. And if you think about it, Herod and many in the city, it wasn't everyone, but many in the city for the entire life of Jesus were too disturbed by the idea of Jesus to allow him to disrupt their life, their systems, their ways, and their wants. The lessons from history show us that we are obsessed with the kingdoms of this world. 
So much though that we will forsake the very thing we've been waiting on and that we claim to be surrendered to. Yet, did I tell you that God is good? Everybody say God is good. Yet, yet, even with that, even in rejection and rebellion and continually falling on our face, even, even with that, the love of Jesus pursues us anyway. The love of Jesus laid down for us and sacrificed himself anyway. The love of Jesus continues to push into the world that keeps putting the sign out to Jesus, do not disturb. His radical love keeps coming. It keeps rushing into the world through lifting up the broken and bringing life to the lost and to the empty and to the broken His kingdom is a kingdom of love. And it's the only kingdom that is built to last. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's a kingdom that will never fail. All other kingdoms will fail. But his kingdom of love will cause all to cry out, your love is better than life. Jesus was asked about the kingdom. He said a lot about it in Luke 17. He said, The kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And when he's saying that, he's saying, it's here. It's with me. The kingdom of God is only found in Christ, in God himself. We discover it through Christ. We experience it through his love. We live it as we stay in step with his spirit. And when we let the love of Jesus flow through us, it's the kingdom of God in our midst. Five things about the kingdom, about Jesus and his kingdom. Real quickly, this is just because I want you to get the understanding of God and the theology of his kingdom. But this, Jesus is the kingdom. Where is the king? Wherever the king is, there's the kingdom. You want the kingdom of God? Go find Jesus because he's the king. Number two, these are quick points. Jesus proclaims the kingdom. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So when you read the Bible and when you read the words of Jesus, you are reading the kingdom. Jesus demonstrates the power of the kingdom, meaning the power of Jesus will overtake the work of the enemy. It's on full display in the gospels, but it's also throughout the ministry of Jesus up through today. When we pray in the name of Jesus that he will raise up and cast out is because we believe in the power of Jesus. Number four, Jesus deploys his kingdom. Jesus sends his followers out as ambassadors of his kingdom with all authority in heaven and on earth to build his kingdom. He sent us into all the world for the sake of advancing the kingdom. You guys get it? Number five, Jesus is restoring the kingdom. He's doing it right now. He's been doing it for a while, and he will complete it when he comes again. Again, his return, when he comes It will be the final victory to restore all that's been broken, to renew all things, to make all things new. I told you, and I've said it twice, but my aim today is to make you love Jesus more than the way you came in. And I know that you love Jesus for so many things. We love him because, of course, he's our savior. We love him for his forgiveness. We love him for how he blesses us, how he teaches us. I could ask you, why do you love Jesus And there would be so many wonderful things that we would say about our love for Jesus. 
But I, I just want to say today, I, I, want, I want you to love him as your king. Like, he's not like the kingdom, the kingdoms of this world. It is a kingdom that is not of this world. He is building a kingdom of love. In 1976, in Detroit, Michigan, a pastor from San Diego named S.M. Lockridge gave a message that became known as, That's My King. As I was preparing this message, I played, this, I played an audio clip from this about five years ago. And as I'm writing this message about kingdom, I can't quit thinking about this video. And so I go look it up because I'm like, oh, that video, that audio. It's, I mean, first of all, that they recorded audio in 1976 is a miracle. And um, I'm glad they did so we can enjoy it today. But about five years ago, I played a three-minute clip of this. But as I was digging this week, I found a six-and-a-half-minute clip. You guys know that's twice as good, right? Some things are worth repeating. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. So I want, I want to use this, uh, it's a video slash audio of, of this message as a way to end the sermon today, but also to help you grow more in love with Jesus. That's really what this is about. So, play the video. My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one for whom there's no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoulder supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he, he's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. 
He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's star upon and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a king of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the popular. He's a head of the heroes. He's a leader of the legislators. He's an overseer of the overcomers. He's a governor of governors. He's a prince of princes. He's a king of kings. And he's a lord of lords. That's my king. is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't out living and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't even teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king.
and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of them forever, then amen. That should disturb you. <laughs> Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Oh. Yeah, just close your eyes. We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. What, what a powerful, powerful, powerful word. Holy Spirit, would you come? And I just want to encourage you, even now on the heels of that, would you just rest in him? Would you just take a moment and just wait on him? Say, God, I, I want that to be real in my life. I want to be able to declare that's my king. You are my king. I'm just going to create a moment for you to just connect with that. We wait on you, Father. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would your love be poured out today? I want to make it simple. The kingdom theology is a big thought, but there's a simple thing underneath that he was establishing a kingdom of love. So I want to make it simple today. Could he say to him, God, I want to love you more. Jesus, I do love you more today. I want to love you more. I want to give you more. I want you to declare it with pride and joy that you are my king. Could that be the cry of your heart today? That you would live with humility and gratitude that you get to be a part of his kingdom. And I think we all have to collectively say enough is enough with this whole kingdoms of the world thing. Enough is enough with trying to be like everyone else. Enough of this do not disturb me, God. Enough of all that. Instead, instead of me, king, it is about you, king, the king, Jesus as king. say today more I need more I love you Jesus in my life more I love everything about you Jesus I love everything about your kingdom I love everything about your people I love everything about your ways I love everything about your word I love everything about you Jesus my time with you in your presence can you just say I love you Jesus just pray that say I love you Jesus I love you you're my king I love you. God, we just want to love you more. We just want to serve you more. We want to be a part of what you are doing in this world. You are restoring. You are remaking. You are, you are redoing everything, Father, for the sake of your kingdom. And so, Father, we just pray that, that Lord, we will wake up to that, that we wouldn't be asleep behind closed doors, but, Lord, we would be out in the streets with you fully awake, fully awake for the work that you want to do, but the, the mission that you want to have. But, more than anything, Father, for the love that you want to give. God, thank you for your love today. May this, may this group of people in this room, may we just experience your love, not only today, but every day. So God, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. We're going to worship today. This altar's open. If you just want to pour out your heart, you can come and you can pray as you want, or you can sing your heart to say, Lord, I'm going to give you all of my love. Let's sing together. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. 
If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.